You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One of the problems with intentionality is that we don't listen. We look and covet, but we're not listening to like what was the real thing behind it. And we're not listening to ourselves, like what would actually fill us, not give us attention for a few minutes, but really fill us. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Was It Chance, the podcast about embracing opportunity and taking intentional risk for your creative life. I'm Heather Vickery. And I'm Alan Seals. <laughs> <laughs> and I realized I haven't pulled up the notes yet, so I don't remember what the intro is. Oh, well done. Yeah, you sent it He's to me. He's a professional. He's a professional. The <laughs> there we go. Got it, got it, got it, got it. Got Jeez it. Louise, man. You would think we have this memorized by now. No. Yeah, we don't. All right. <laughs> And I'm Alan Seals. We are two perfect strangers who met by chance and embraced opportunity. Listen in as we chat with other successful people about the risks they've taken to put themselves on a path to their own creative success. Okay, I I had to control myself writing this bio for today's guest. Oh my god. Because gosh. I want to say everything about you, Sochiel. I want <laughs> I was like, okay, you've got to make this, we have to have an actual interview. You can't just like blur out everything but we are inviting uh, a, a woman that i've known for a really long time on the show today so chill gonzalez is with us and gosh i mean i've known you it's over a decade yeah for sure actually yeah. yes isn't that Which crazy? Is crazy i know yeah we were both in the wedding industry together like what feels like many lifetimes ago at yes this point yes. um it's such a pleasure having so chill here with us today this lady is on fire. I, I don't know. You've worn like every hat in the world <laughs> from gallery girl to tarot card reader, which I actually want to ask about. Event planner. Excuse me? I, it's, I, I'm into it. I'm super into it. Uh, entrepreneur. And now I don't even know what all your titles are. Best-selling author of the brand new book, Olga Dies Dreaming, which is so good, by the way. So good. And has been turned into a pilot for Hulu, which got delivered today, like today of this interview. And then we're just sort of either on the chopping block or not. (laughs) Oh, my God. I just my heart just started to pound out of my chest. Uh, So Chill has an MFA from the University of Iowa's Writers Workshop. She is the recipient. I'm not going to say this right. Missioner (laughs) Copernicus Prize in Fiction. And the winter, the winter, <laughs> I, mean, I need to drink more of this coffee. The winner. So in 45 minutes, we'll be done with the bio. And we can have two is, minutes of it. This is my shortened version. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> the, t- 
the Disquiet Literary Prize. She deserves all the props. I'm sorry. I know. Um, I know. It's impressive. She's published in Bustle and Vogue and The Cut and is a contributor for The Atlantic, where you can find her newsletter, Brooklyn, Brooklyn Everywhere. Holy shit. So, Jill, welcome to Was It Chance? Hi. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here. Actually, I'm super happy to be here because I just sort of love, not only have we known each other for a long time, but I love the premise of this podcast because I definitely think many things are serendipitous in the journey from when we met each other to this new bio, which is uh, very long. <laughs> yes, I know. Very long. That was my short. I, it was. I wrote it longer and then I cut it down. I was like, okay, we got to get all this in. Um, yes. Well, it's, it's weird for me. I, okay. So I'm going to be the guy here to, or the person here to, to get this going because do it. Heather, I, I don't. Great. I don't know you from the wedding you don't planner know me world. From Adam. And, and so, <laughs> yeah, I don't know you from Adam or Eve. <laughs> Heather, I don't know you from the wedding planning world. I only know you from the podcast world and the coaching yeah. world and the and and whatnot. Now, and for for both of you, I'm just impressed by leaving that behind and starting where you are now because you're both incredibly successful where you've landed now together. And uh, so, tell me about so, Chiel, Tell me about when you started in the wedding planning industry, what was sort of this moment, right? Where you're like, this isn't for me. Where am I going next? <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting. I feel like that moment happened 900 times. Actually. No, um, you know, like the day we started. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, no. Okay. Here's what it, what it is. It's like in the beginning, in the beginning, it was interesting and it felt like there was a place to ascend to, if that makes sense. Like, mm. but this is also in the era, I started that business with my best friend in the era of periodicals. Like there must've been like 20 wedding magazines out yes. there. And so like you could become like a famous wedding planner and it felt like there was a lot of room to kind of grow. And I'm just sort of an aspirational person and I'd been an art major and I just didn't know what to do with those creative instincts. And it's, it was good. And then we got through the recession and we made it through, but we were in so much debt, we couldn't afford to close the business. Does that make sense? Like, it's like, even if we want, like, wow. like, it was like one of these things where we had to live off of our line of credit because people lost their jobs, they canceled weddings, but then we still had enough weddings that we had to keep working and we this couldn't have managed. Oh, oh, this is like housing crisis? Well, it hit us very early because we were in New York and all of our clientele was like, I, at that time, I remember everybody was at Lehman and Bear Stearns, like every, like all oh. our clients. So it was like, and so <laughs> we then, but like we had enough work that we couldn't not like take jobs because we'd still have to fulfill those contracts, but we then weren't getting enough income to like cover our overhead. So then we ran up this debt on a line of credit that Ugh. we probably shouldn't have been given. And so then it was like, we were literally <laughs> in business to just pay off debt Nobody talks about the predatory lending that happens to small businesses, by the way, that oh happens to small gosh. businesses. It's so gross. But anyway, and then what ha what happened just in the world, which is not anything that I'm deciding, it was like the whole Occupy Wall Street thing, is that when things came up, the middle was not quite the middle. So I think I used to service like lower well-off people. Does that mean like they were more yeah. than upper middle class, but they like weren't the, the like, one and a half percent? Yeah, yeah. Or like <laughs> the lower rung, the lower rung of the one percent. And and then suddenly the people that were coming through the door were people with inherited <laughs> wealth, like the upper one percent. And so your relationship with them just changed completely. Totally like, different. Like completely different clientele. And at that point there were some exceptions to the rule but I stopped enjoying it as much because you definitely felt more like a servant than yes. like a peer. 
that was doing something fun. And the point, and I talk about this in the book a little bit, the point of the wedding took on different meaning. It wasn't just about celebrating love. Like it sort of took on like social status and communicating something other existential about them and the family and like messaging. And so, um, but it just was sort of like we were working to pay off the business. And so we tried a lot of weight things to like change the, and it felt like I felt a little, like I was playing in too small of an arena, if that makes mm. sense. So not the wedding world per se, but like just my my talents. Like, yeah. I, and and I had this blog, and I enjoyed writing, but I got frustrated that I was always just writing about weddings, and <laughs> I just sort of felt very confined. And so we kept trying to change our business in order to make more space. And then eventually, I, I honestly like it was like we had a we knew we were moving away from it, and then we had a friend pass away, and we had already more or less taken somebody else had taken over the day-to-day operations. And then we were like, we got to get out of here. And so we, but it takes a long time to extricate yourself from a small business. People don't realize that. Like, it's like somebody asked me the other day, they were like, Oh, for an interview, they were like, can we get a sense of how much money you sold the business to? We sold it to the woman that had taken it over. And I was like, this is not like I sustained my life and it was a nice life in New York. So I never felt like it was a failure of a business, but it was literally like, please take it off my hands. Like it was not like, like, it's like, like, oh, I just need a neat ending to this so that I'm not sitting here dealing with my accountants for the next five years. Like, and I think it's, it's, it's hard to say by the end, it was just like, Oh my God, just get me out of here. And so, you know, and I, I don't know. And I was very, um, on the one hand, it's great to get dispassionate about something because people would be like, you suck. And you're like, no, I don't, but that's okay. Like, you (laughs) (laughs) I love though that you're shedding this light. I mean, people are going, they probably, they already are. They're going to be looking at you as someone who is just making it, who is so highly successful. You're, you're doing things that seem impossible to people on the outside world. I I think, I mean, your very first book out is a bestseller months and months and months before it's released and the Hulu pilot and all of these things. But it's really important to see that you worked your ass off for this. And there are a lot of other things that happened and, (laughs) You know, you're like, just take my business. Just take my business. (laughs) Well, you know, what's a great way to think about it. I'd never thought about it until you just said that. But like the the best way to explain it is like, you know, the book's kind of funny, but it also has a lot of pain in it. And every pain point was personally earned. Yes. Mm. And that is the best way to describe. Like, so I have fresh success in this (laughs) arena. Yeah. But it was earned by every wound inflicted in this book. Like oh that I like either closely, I personally bore or very closely bore. So I think that it's like, I look at it as my very, my nice reward for my beautiful pain collage. Thank uh. you. No, um, but, <laughs> no I, I, and so like, I, I think it's, a, it's not, I totally know what you mean, but I think it's like the reason why I think the book is doing well is because it's something about, all of that trauma and like experience and the ability to find some humor in it um, is hitting with people, which I'm so yeah. grateful for, but it's only because it was very lived. Do you know what I mean? Like you can, yes. I could write it. It was very lived. Yeah. Well, and I fully admit as I was reading the book, which I love by the way, so chill. It's so Thank good. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, 
I had a really hard time not seeing your face on the oh, main character. My gosh. I told, I told <laughs> Bernadette that. I was like, did you see so chill the whole time? Oh my <laughs> well, I'm hoping to God that people are soon are only thinking it's Aubrey Plaza. So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so how much of it, I mean, this is a novel, but we all write from what we know. So how yeah. much of it is yours and how yeah, much of it yeah, yeah. is fiction. I, well, I always see that she is essentially me if I'd not, if I'd been a Scorpio and not had therapy for 10 years. Um, and so <laughs> like, I, and so, you know, the, the base, a lot of things are fictionalized. Like I don't have any siblings. I was raised by both my grandparents, like not one of my grandparents, my dad's Mexican American. No, my dad's not dead. You know, my, my mother now lives like in an RV in the Midwest, I think, but like, you know, we're estranged, but she, but they were political activists. That is how they met. That is why I was raised with my grandparents because my mother was like off, like fighting for social justice in Latin America at that time and unionizing and working with the Sandistas and all these other things. And so um, I, that is why I live with my grandparents. And it was sort of a thing that we weren't allowed to talk about. Like, it's like, you know, she would come maybe once a year, but like it, it wasn't allowed to be a trauma point, if that makes sense. Like it was sort of just yeah. like, like you were, you weren't really allowed to deal with it. And then I think because other people n- noticed it, I think a lot of the genesis of my perfectionism and which is what some of the things I wanted to explore is this idea of like not wanting to be defined by something and how do you actively choose to not wanting to be defined by something. And so I did think that that was an interesting premise for a book. And I, I, I knew I wanted to write about Puerto Rico and I just sort of thought I'd written short stories like that I realized were all the same character. It was like Olga, like me and thereby me um, as a Scorpio. And, and then I, I, but I kept giving her different professions. Do you know what mm. I mean? Like, and then what I realized is I was like, and mainly because I didn't want to seem lazy. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, oh, right. I don't want to. Like, I didn't want to seem like planner. I could yeah. totally come up with other professions. But what wedding planning does so uniquely is it allows you to look at class like in a really specific lens, and it allows you to showcase. You can't. I mean, there are planners like this, but like for the most part, you as a planner know that the bus driver who's being paid minimum wage is actually the linchpin to the entire day <laughs> and is the most valuable is the MVP of your and needs to be treated with almost as much grace and, and attention as your mother of the bride. Like, because he will actually, like, and so I think, um, what is that life when you are sort of, and you're also this like quasi, you're a peer, but then you're not quite a peer. Yeah. And I just thought that that was a good way to sort of talk about class and ethnicity and service and like, and, and the different dynamics of that. And so um, I just decided to lean into it. And then it was kind of fun because, you know, you get all these weird details that I've stored in my brain, like for all these years, and and then you get to kind of like vomit them out. So it was actually ended up being did. very fun. So what, yeah. was the, what was the chance that that turned this into a Hulu pilot? Because this is a debut novel, debut, yeah. first one, yeah, Not unproven yeah. author, and all <laughs> well, of a sudden Hulu's like. Yo, I like this. We're gonna well, do something it, with it. It's it's an even chancier story than that, Alan. Like it's all because <laughs> I, I it's all because I was I have my childhood best friend who works in publishing is obsessed with the bar method and I hate it. I hate the bar method. I I, I hope that they don't hear this because they'll the feel fit, really badly. 
thing. It's a fitness thing. Yeah, where <laughs> like, you go and you sort of do ballet to techno like, music. Yeah, bark, B-A-R-R-E. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah B- <laughs> and you do like plies to like techno music. It's very weird. And she <laughs> loves it. And I, I hated it. But it was like our way of bonding. So I basically like had a very expensive membership to this fitness club like in Brooklyn. And I went with her and I had applied to... I won this literary prize and I got into Iowa and one day we were in the locker room and she, a lot of people in publishing used to go to bar method. And so she starts chatting with somebody. She's like, Oh, my, my friend Rachel just got into Iowa. And so she's like, Oh, she's like, I'm a literary agent, which she obviously my friend knew. And she's like, you should send me your stuff. It turns out we had met via email years prior. We just didn't know because the way our names are spelled. And she had been a fan of my blog and wanted me to try to turn it into a what? memoir, but it was too dark. Like this is like maybe five years before. So I think it's too dark for the marketplace. So she had already been a fan of my writing. And then off of a hundred pages of Olga, I had only had a hundred pages of the first draft. And she was like, not only do I want to sign you for book, I want to send you from book to film. And she happened to be at CAA at that point. She'd been at Foundry when I first met her over email wow. years prior, but then she was at CAA at that point. And so it never was intended to not be options. Like we always at that point intended to take it out for an option. And then it was like, honest, it is more chance because like literally it went out and I had maybe 15 calls and Hulu wasn't one of them. Like it was like a bunch of different, you know, Ron Howard and like crooked media and a bunch of, Oh my God, I'm like telling all the, I'm telling all the people that like didn't end. I didn't end up going, which I'm probably not supposed to do, but whatever. And, and then what ended up happening was I ended up meeting Alfonso Gomez at home. He was like the last call. And like, you know, I'm in, I'm in Iowa at this point. There's nothing less sexy than Iowa city. Like it's like, you know, and like, and you're freezing. It's like February. So like, and you're freezing in your own house. Cause it's so cold outside. So I'm completely bundled and I'm getting like all these people in their cars in LA. And it's like, please hold for blah, blah, blah. blah. And then you'd be on hold for like 10 minutes. Well, they connect, you wait for the person to connect for the call. And Alfonso is like the only person that like just called me himself. And he was like three minutes early. He's like, is it okay? I'm three minutes early. I was just nervous to talk to you. And so like, I, it was the most earnest call. And I called my agent and I was like, I know a lot of these other people are going to be able to pay me more money, but I really want to work with this guy. And like the next week, right before lockdown, I right before lockdown, like March 13th, it was Friday, March 13th. We got a phone call. I got a phone call and it was like, Hulu just read the book. They're desperate to option it. They want you to, they only want you to write the pilot. And I was like, well, let's see how they feel about me doing it with Alfonso. And it turns out they love him. They had just passed it with deep regret on a project that he had brought to them. And so that was kind of me and him together, like sealed the deal for them. And that was how we ended up moving forward. Um, so cool. That yeah, it was really cool. And we actually more serendipity. It's even more crazy. Alfonso had been with the same, you know, he'd done me and Earl on the dying girl and he had been with the same agent his whole career. Like he'd won Emmys for, um, he'd won uh, Emmys for, um, Oh my God, American horror story. And, and he directed a bunch of police. He'd been with the same agency for his whole career. The day that he got to CAA, his first day at CAA was the first day that my book was out for option. And that was the first thing that they handed him. Oh my god! And so like, it was his first day as a CAA client. And the first thing they gave him was my book and he read it in one day. And then we talked that Friday and that's how this all, all happens. That is I'm incredible. I am Isn't too. that crazy? I am too. Okay. So can you take us to that, that moment that day, Hulu, they want it. Like, 
what are you feeling? Well, the truth is what was funny is that I had already been in slight disbelief because the book sold in the Ten House auction. So I was in Iowa when that was happening. And so it was like two days of like just the price going up as an auction does. That's and insane. Yeah. And so that happened like February 26th, which is a year to the day that I had the idea for the book. And like, and the same day that I had the idea for the book was the same day I found out I got into Iowa. So there was so much weird stuff, like just like, like just spiritual plane. This is bigger than me and like whatever. And so I had decided, you know, it was sort of like, you know, I think the first, the bat had been eaten earlier that year. And we were like, (laughs) should we, should I come back for spring break? Cause I was in Iowa. I was like, should I come back for spring break? And my best friend was like, Oh, Myra, you know, Myra, Heather, Um, Myra was like, look, isn't it better if we get stuck? You get stuck here. Although nobody had been in lockdown. We didn't even know what stuck meant. I just knew that in LA people had started not going to the office. So I got on a flight and I was like, the main reason I was going was because we were, I was going to meet my editor on Friday the 13th. And then I was going to take my friends that had been my readers on the book, like um, out to dinner with their partners. And so we were at drinks before that dinner when I got the call from Hulu. Holy shit. Jesus. Yeah. Talk yeah, about it was a celebration. Just, and then, yeah, I know, I know. Except that we were the only people in the restaurant because everybody was afraid. And the next day they shut down the whole city. Like, and so. <laughs> wow. Going out strong, though. It was like, yeah, yeah. But what was so weird about it was that then it was like, you. I sort of entered into the pandemic knowing that my life was changing, but then not nobody knowing about it. And so like, I like it's, and I don't know. It was like very weird. It was like, I was like working on this pen, blah, blah, blah. And because people, I knew so many people in the event space, so many people's businesses were in yes. like collapse in this, especially those first few months. So I really didn't want to talk about it with anybody. Cause I felt like it was like, it was great that it was happening, but like, it, I, I think it was actually good. It gave me a lot of time to adjust like mm. and wrap my head around things and like, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and revise the book and, write the pilot and do all this stuff. But, um, but it was a very surreal, like chain of events. So, so you've got, uh, you said you were an art major. I was a fine art and art, art history. Double right. major, so yeah. art history major, which is not writing wedding planning, which is not writing where like you can write the way that you use words and put them together to make these eloquent, beautiful sentences, like just the content aside, story aside, the way that you're writing is absolutely beautiful. And it's a style that I haven't read in a long time. It's very, very, it just, it, it brings you in, in a way that a lot of authors don't. Yeah. Where did that come from? I honestly really actually have no idea. It's just the way my brain thinks. Like, it's just the way my brain. I mean, I, I, and I don't even, I, I'm like, if this is a literary podcast, I'd be like stoned because everybody's like, oh. <laughs> I, I'm, I don't even really know. I don't actually get to read that much. I, I did. I've gone through periods of intense reading. When I was a kid, I read t- constantly. And when I was a young adult, I read constantly. And then I became a wedding planner and my brain was broken. And I like, if I got through Been like, there, done that. like sometimes it's like you would get through, like you'd go through a weird period and you'd go through a lot of books. And then there'd be times where it's like, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm a half drunk coming back from some net, networking mixer or tasting. <laughs> and I'm like, eh. like, and I'm not exactly like being very productive. And so when I decided I wanted to write, I did get back to reading and I was reading more critically and I read a lot of books that I loved and I was reading them 
as a writer, mm, but yes. um, if that makes sense, like I was going back and looking with them as a writer, but I don't, I don't know. I think it's just the way that my brain forms sentences and it's the way that I like, I don't know, it's cadences that I've liked. I, I don't, what I, I haven't been touched by is like a ton of contemporary fiction, if that makes sense. Like, you know, I mean, whatever, this is like, I, I don't want to sound complainy, but the truth of the matter is that the MFA is the way that most books get published. Not all yeah. books, but a lot yeah. of books, especially new books and new Well, authors. you get the connections, right? It's yes. all about networking. Yes. Yeah. And so, and, and, and it's like, and it's like, um, I don't know how to put it. It's like a, it's a bit of a shorthand for agents and editors. It's like, oh, well they have to be, if I've got a giant stack like this and I know they went to Iowa or Columbia or whatever, I know this will probably be good. So like, let me just parse my way through the stack. And it's a way to make manage your time more efficiently. I completely get it. I think what happens though, is that you end up reading a lot of things that your peers read. Whereas like, because I was 20 years older, a lot of the stuff that I was influenced by are books that were published like 20 years ago when I was like fresh out of yeah. college and had time to read and had like a nine to five job and I would get on the train and I'd read like a book a week. And so like, I think that probably in a funny way, it sounds fresh now, but it's probably old fashioned. Like I bet if I picked up Gary Steingart's first book, I'd probably write a lot like Gary Steingart. Like, you know, like it's like, like oh, when I think about books, like that I was very influenced by, like like Jonathan Lethem's um, like early work, like that was stuff that I was like devouring when I was in my twenties. Like, and so I suspect that actually, uh, if anything, it was influenced more by that. Um, and and then I just, it is literally though, all the secret thoughts that have been in my brain that I never get to say, because nobody wants to hear such long sentences. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that is, that's beautiful. And I love that it's just so natural because as your debut novel, I think the, your subsequent novels, which of course I hope there are many more, are just going to get that much better. But when you, the the whole thing about um, a screenplay, when that was coming about, were you like, great, yeah, that sounds no problem. Side note, Google to myself, how do how, I how write, do write a screenplay? 100%. 100%. No, 100%. And it's like, well, this actually is probably just helpful. Like, I did just what I did. The hardest part is I'm actually, I used to be, isn't this so weird when you realize this? I used to be like, uh, what do they call them? Early adopters of technology things. Mm -hmm. Like, I'd be like, where are you? My that would be Ellen. Like, that would be Ellen. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> and, but now I'm like, I don't know how to use anything. And so like the hardest part is learning how to use the software. I was like, my brain doesn't know how to do this. But what I did do is I picked shows that I really admired and I found their pilot scripts and I sat oh, and I would brilliant. read the pilot script and watch the pilot and then stop and like, and read how they had described what I was just watching. And that helped me then understand how to convey on paper what I was hoping to see. Um, and then Alfonso is literally like the most patient human being in the world and like doesn't shame me about some of the very early, really shitty stuff that only he saw. Um, but you know, like I definitely like, and it was COVID. Like I had COVID when I was doing this. Like it was like early. You pandemic. did? Oh no. Oh my God. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, I, I had the time or the, the, you know, the mental space and nobody was really pressuring us because it was a strange pandemic -y time. And yet at the same time, by Hollywood standards, this has come together quite quickly. Like by Hollywood oh, standards, it's come together so insanely fast. quickly. Yeah. 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 Can I ask you about the, I, I'm going to say decision. I'm not sure how much of it felt like a decision to you. You were very public about this whole process. You blog, you newslettered. I don't, you sent a yeah. newsletter. What, what yeah. is that in active form? Consistently. I mean, I, 
full disclosure, I wasn't on your newsletter list. I am now, but my partner Bernadette was, yeah. and she would literally come to me every day. She's like, oh my God, you've got to, re- you got to hear this. So I didn't have to be because I had my own <laughs> social fan club. And, and But you, was there a thought process in, I'm going to talk about this out loud and big. And was it, was it just because you wanted to share or? Well, some of it is, you know, I, a lot of it was because I got off Facebook after the election. Mm. Yes. Mm. And for you. at the same time, it didn't mean that there weren't people that I liked that I only saw yeah. there. Yeah. And, um, and so I, I've had this weird life. I mean, you know, this Heather from the wedding space, you meet so many people yes. and so many different kinds of people. And then I had different strata of career, you know, like I had this early career in advertising and I knew some people there. And like, I just sort of felt like I had these people over different strata that, you know, like if they reach out and reply and say, hello, it'd be nice to hear what they're doing. And let me just tell them what I'm doing because I'm not doing status updates on Facebook. Yeah. So it's that newsletter is not that big now. Like some strangers are subscribing, but like, it's like, generally it's like, I consider it a, it's your a friends and family. Yeah. It's like, it's the friends and family it's extended friends and sometimes it's people like somebody might write back and I haven't talked to them in 15 years and but it's still really <laughs> like nice me. it's not yeah but it's not like I'm like why the fuck are you talking to me no I'm like oh it's so nice to hear from you you know yeah. what I mean? like and so um that was why I did it. it it felt like I would probably be status updating on this if I was and I didn't feel like there was a failure you know I sort of like there was no real option for failure I think to your point about the podcast being about like what was it mitigated risk what did you what's the language you use about oh, risk? intentional risk intentional Cre- risk yeah. yeah yeah look I I had originally thought I was gonna get go I did went to Breadloaf and I decided to write I was like I'm gonna go to this writer's conference I'd heard that I'd heard about that's decently prestigious you have to apply to get in so I was like I'm gonna try to get into this writer's conference a conference and I think they accept like 10% of the applicants decently prestigious is my nickname by the way <laughs> <laughs> and so when I got in I was like okay you can't be a bad writer you got into this conference and then I went and it was like that weird um that that blind melon video where the girl's in the bee outfit and she gets to the other side of the hill and like she sees all the bees and I was like oh these are my people like this yes. is like these are my people and this is my art form like I was like this is the art form that you were supposed to have been doing like all that time when you're diddling around with really bad painting it brown and and so <laughs> I I then was like okay I got so much better in ten days I was like I think I want to try and get my MFA. And I'll just do it at night. Like I had this new job. I got a nine to five job at Hunter College. I was like, I'll go in the evenings. I'll like write on the weekends. I was like, I'll just figure it out. And I had no intention of moving to get this MFA. I decided two things. I'm not going to move. I'm not going to get go into debt. And then Brilliant. at the last minute, a writer friend of mine that I'd met at that conference is like, you should just apply to Iowa. It's fully funded. It's free. And it skyrockets your career if you go there because it's the best writing program in the world. Yeah. Uh, it's the first and the best of the MFA programs, and so or so they say. And my, is it the best? That's subjective, but I I loved it, and so I ended up that I was like sure because I, I looked it up, and I think they get like a thousand applicants, and they admit like one percent of all their applicants, like something insane, two percent maybe, like two to three percent. So I was like, the chances of getting in are so low. And I like, I literally had to write a story to give them enough pages to make my application. Like that's how little writing I had like wow. productively finished at that point. And, um, and so I did. And then I, in the interim, while I was waiting to see if I got in anywhere, I was trying to think about what I would write a novel about. I was like, well, you're going to go to an MFA. You want to walk out with the novel. 
And when I got into Iowa, it's like literally they paid me for the first year. I didn't have to teach or anything. Like I just had to write. And so I, that privilege felt insane. And one of my, I was like, but I'm going to give up this rent stabilized apartment and I'm going to have to move to Iowa and be in Iowa. And like, and one of my friends is like, and you will get so much further in two years. It'll take you twice as long to do what you can do in Iowa. Yeah. And just because I'm a lunatic, mm. I then, you know, the other thing is like, you're 43, you, you know, two academic years goes by in the blink of an eye. Like you don't mm -hmm. have that same sense of time when you're in your 20s. And so I got there and I was like, I don't really know anybody. I'm going to only, I, I'm so much older. It's not that I was unfriendly, but I basically just hid in my apartment and wrote this book. And so I walked in with 200 pages and I finished the novel. Again, serendipity. I walked in and they said, this semester, the head of the program is offering a novel writing workshop, but you can only wow. get in if you've got 80 or more pages of a book done already. And I was like, I have 200. We get to the class <laughs> and everybody, everybody in the class is like, you know, young. And so of course, like, she's like, who wants to go first? And everybody's like, uh, uh, and I was <laughs> like, well, why the fuck did I, I this is why I moved to Iowa. Yeah. I was like, yeah, great. Like, and I'm like, why did I move to Iowa? And then this, so I got the chance to get feedback my first week. And then by the end of the, I got to go feedback the last week because I finished the novel over the course of the first semester, the first draft, you know? And so that's incredible. So I guess it's like, you know, I think it's serendipity, but sometimes it's also taking, um, maximizing the, the chance that you get yes. you know I mean? like, intentional like, risk. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. I could have gotten there and I could have been sad and homesick and spent all my time going back to New York and, you know, flying to see somebody in Chicago or whatever. And, and not, just hiding in my house and working. But I was like, you have two opportunities to get feedback from some of the best and fresh up and coming writers like in the country, do it. And so um, I just made a bit, you know, I, I don't even want to say sacrifice. I just, that's how I decided to use yes. that time. And, and so, you know, when people are like, you sold your book while you were still in Iowa, it's like, <laughs> Yeah. And actually, the funniest part is I actually walked out of that first year with 175 pages of a new book. I just decided I didn't like the direction of it and I needed to put it on hold and start something different. And so I, I actually finished a book and a half. Wow. So, so in the in the first year, the second year, nothing got done. School was all on Zoom. Like I was like writing a screenplay and like, you know, <laughs> I was doing so many other things. But like the first year, like, yes. Wow. Uh, so I, I don't know if you know this or not, but I just published a book, came out in October, is not a novel. It's personal professional development. And and I love writing. I, I actually have a creative writing degree, undergraduate, not an MFA. But uh, I I can't wrap my head around how you people write novels, like all of the parts and the weaving and the dropping the I Holy shit. Mm. No, no. I, I've always wanted to, to write radio dramas for podcasts right yeah and I'm like, yeah yeah when, when i when there's a good twist that happens in a show i'm like i could have never thought of that my brain is a technical brain it's not a storytelling brain how do you oh keep track gosh. of it all how do you do that well that felt more like wedding planning does that make sense like it's like <laughs> it wait, that was just like okay you just need like, to keep track of the details <laughs> yeah no it felt like all right but what is the like who called the band to follow up on what their sound equipment is like right like it's like like where are they sleeping like you know like it's like, like it, that is like I think the wedding planning brain of keeping track of a lot of details and that you can get so myopic in like flowers that like you were like oh my god I haven't talked to the freaking tent guy in three yeah. months like let me just make sure that everything is still fine and that we get the permits and blah, blah, blah. like you know and so I do think that that 
was a big part of it. <laughs> That's funny. I I I admire your ability Thank to you so do much. that. So you, how much control or did you have any control in casting? Because you were on set. I mean, oh, you were a screenwriter. So. Alfonso and I, ca- well, executive producer and screenwriter. Exactly. Alfonso and I cast every single person. And as a matter of fact, nobody at CAA wants to hear this, but I, the way Jesse Williams ended up being in it is actually because we have a mutual friend. And I was like, let me just get him the script and see if he'll even consider it. Because he didn't want to do TV at the moment because he'd been on Grey's for so right. long. Yeah. And just wanted a break. You know, TV's like, a gru- it's grueling. It's very different than film. And um, a little different on streamers. But network TV is like, you know, it's so many episodes. It's like, yes. it's like a real schedule. And so um, really, like, and that was... Um, we had we had a lot of say and obviously 20th and hulu but like you know the only when it came time the first name that i gave when they were like what about olga oh my god by the way people like say like ridiculous things like now it's so funny because it started in like early 2020 before like the summer of george floyd when people would like like send they're like what about penelope cruz and you're like She's uh, from Spain. Like, <laughs> like it's like, she, like, like she's actually from Spain. Like, not this person. But the 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 first name that I gave was actually Aubrey Plaza. And then it for you know that was serendipitous in the sense that I was please get the book to Aubrey. And then when she finally got her hands on it, loved it, and that. Um, and I don't, I don't know that I could imagine anybody else playing the role. I mean, she's just yeah. fantastic. So, so yeah, no, it was like a lot of, um, we had a lot, I mean, you know, to the point like we're like, let's pick Alfonso, which person do you want to be the extra that crosses the room? But like, <laughs> no, like we I were like, like, it was a lot of, hand, it was extremely hands-on, extremely oh, hands-on. Heather, this is what you're telling about where you were crying when no one called you to be an extra walking across <laughs> the room. So I was mortally wounded that this blonde white girl was not invited to be part of this. Like, yeah, no. I mean, it's an incredible cast. We didn't mention Ramon Rodriguez, who I is just oh, so, so charming. And I, I do have to admit, I, Jesse Williams has the most magical eyes in all of Hollywood. And so I can't <laughs> wait to see him play Mateo. <laughs> oh, my is. God. No, he's so fabulous. And then like pe- some people that other pe- that weren't even in that. Well, Jessica Pigmentel, who a lot of people know is Maria on mm-hmm. Orange, is Mabel. Um, Laz Alonzo plays Reggie King. Um, Eric Stoltz plays one of the Selbys. Um, wow. And... And um, Dermot Mulroney plays Dick. So those are some of the casting announcements. They didn't make publicly because they were, you know, not series regulars. But I yeah. love that. So I yeah. wrote, there's one line, and it's so random that it's Dick's line, which is so yeah. weird, that I wrote down as I was reading because oh. it, it connected with me for this show. Yeah. Um, opportunities that often lie in wait. Wait, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good lot. No, he's not a, like, he just sees. He's not a dick, he's not a dick. I mean, he's kind of a dick. He's a dick. (laughs) He's a Richard. That's a good way to put it. He's a Richard. And sometimes he's a dick. Yeah. And, you know, I think I've known so many. I think what I, what I really wanted to do, I mean, look, if you were going to go and give this like a literary read, every character that has a POV has a, um, like a sim is a symbol of something. Yeah. And so he is the symbol of sort of Americanism and our government. And so yes. it's like, it's not that, yes. I think that the government is like, I'm going to wake up 
and harm Puerto Rico. <laughs> I think it's like, I think it's like, well, we stand something to gain and here they are. They belong to us. Let's just do it. Yes. Like, it's just like, well, we could, you know what? We need a Navy base. We'll put it over here. Like, you know, like it's like, it's, it's a passive like use of, of privilege that it causes harm, but there's no thought given to that. And so that is like really his function and why, because, you know, there was like early debate like that I never cared about. Like, by the way, but Sam Sam Chang, who runs the Iowa Writers Workshop, was like, she, a person I never was worried would take a wrong opinion. You. She was like, you just are literally like, I'm okay, cool. That goes over my head. I don't want to do it. Like, <laughs> I can take feedback that if the feedback hits, I'll take it. Do you know what I mean? But like, if it doesn't, if I'm like, okay, no, that's not what I'm trying to do. Like, you just have to learn to ignore it. I do think that, by the way, is a big part. Good editing skills is like a big part of making change. Oh, yeah. Don't you think? Because yes. like, let's talk about that because to oh, me yeah. that's about chance and, and, and embracing and intentional risk and, yes. and letting that process happen. Yes. yes. Well, opportunities align weight is one good thing because it's like, I see where this could go, but I think sometimes, you know, the, the problem is, is that the challenge and why it took so long to get out of weddings to go back to your earlier question, Ellen is like, sometimes you, your impulse is like, I need change. And so you jump at the first thing that comes your way and like you don't necessarily, I don't know, see the longer path or stop to listen to how it makes you feel. And so like you can make false starts, you know what I mean? Like, and I think, um, yeah, I think it's like that, that to me is a part of it is like also like, like, you know, risk, but is the risk taking you to a good place? Or is it just taking you farther from where you're trying to get away from? Well, how, how do you, how, how do you, yeah, how do you decide? How do you decide? That was my question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you well, decide? I, you know what I, what I think about is like, is this a short-term feel good or is this a long-term feel good? So, you know, and to go back to the Iowa thing, I didn't think it was going to go like this necessarily. Like, I, like that felt like one possible wild card option, but I was like, what would be a nice outcome that's totally feasible? And I was like, you get an MFA, you come back, your day job now, maybe you ed- can edit books. And, you know, you keep writing, you write another novel on the weekends and in the mornings the way you wrote this novel. You know what I mean? Like, and so I, I sort of saw it as a way to have a career around something that I liked, which is the involving the art of the art of literature, right? And so um, it could have had a different, totally attainable outcome that I could see a very clear path towards. And then this was sort of the wild card. Like this is like, and then it could also go wildly well. And then this could be a possibility. So I think that that, the the worst outcome still felt like a good outcome. And that's probably the way that I assess it. Mm. Quote unquote, worst outcome. I like that a lot. That pause to say, is this an immediate feel good? And and what could that, is it going to dissipate quickly? It's like chiclet gums. Like this is going to taste great for 30 yeah. seconds and then it's going to be the yeah. most disgusting thing I've ever had in my mouth. Okay, um, yeah. Or, yeah. or, you know, am, am I not going to get an instant wonderful feedback on this, but it's going to pay off if I stick with it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think even sometimes like, I don't know, I think about like I'd gotten a divorce in the middle of all this, probably right around when I met you, Heather. And like, I remember just being like, is this is going to feel hard in the beginning, but better at the end. And when yeah. I weighed the staying versus the leaving, I was like, yep, the, been there, done that. <laughs> there'll be a deeper, worse <laughs> moment, but then it'll be better. And like, and that, like, you know, so I think sometimes that's like part of it. It's like, you have to just sort of take a second and just 
you know, do a little bit of scenario assessment, mm. <laughs> right? Like, yeah, yeah. I, I believe that's true, especially when you're talking about intentional risk and intentional yeah. uh, risky creation and risky, you know, kind of being a subjective word, but yes, like what is this payoff? And are we willing to be uncomfortable or even sad or unhappy in oh, the short term for a desired on- result? Honestly, there were days, like not to make it sound like all roses, it was awesome to like be in the, have the ability to write, but there were days, especially in Iowa where I was very, de- like, I was so depressed. I would call home and cry. I would call my best friend and cry. Like that. I was like, I, I, I didn't see people like I, I, like, I don't know. I was like very difficult in the, especially in the beginning. I mean, and I, and I was like, what am I doing? You know, like, and I am. And the main risk was that I was like, I might not be able to afford to move back to New York. Like, right. Like, cause you're like, now you, you, you know, that I was like, am I going to be able to get into another apartment? Am I going to be able to do this? Can I do that? And I was like, that'll make me very, very sad. But then I was like, but writing will make me happier. And I, I could always move to New Orleans. Like I started trying to think about other cities where I could go. And then it turned out that I ended up writing about Brooklyn, which enabled me to move back to yes. Brooklyn, which is sort of beautiful. Right. Like that's kind of, poetic and nice um <laughs> there, there was something um that we, that we touched on in the or heather said in the bio that we haven't come back to which is tarot cards oh yeah and and, and <laughs> we're talking about manifestation intentional creation uh there's there different people have different uh interpretations of what that means right and some people call it just like godlike spirituality or divine yeah. intervention or whatever the yeah. case is and you had mentioned when you were telling like all of the great things that happened to you that it was like uh, i forget what you said it was something of like Kismet. I'm par- I'm paraphrasing, right? Yeah. But there serendipity, are that which we, is a thing we thought about calling this show something with serendipity. Uh-huh. I bought all sorts right. of so, URLs with that name. <laughs> <laughs> so for for you who you know, obviously, uh, we're in the tarot card space. Where I, I assume that through that there is some sport, some sort of spirituality that um it, that permeates your life. Whatever that. Yeah. I guess what does that mean to you, and how how do you harness that? power whether it yeah. be a a mindset or you know or I'll, I'll stop and shut up yeah you talk. no 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 well I, I definitely I'm a very <laughs> I'm definitely no no I'm very spiritual I very much believe in God and I believe in a universal higher order um I think I I, I see an astrologer every year I'd be remiss to not talk about it because again yeah. it's about like calculated opportunity I I, I just think the, there's no such thing as chance of time and space and place. Like, it's like, like, why was this person born in this moment at this, in this location? Like, and so I, I, I see this astrologer every year and a few years ago, you know, I was, I was like, well, and he was like, well, you're not going to meet anybody until, oh my God, isn't it so funny when these things sound so far away? Like, it's like not <laughs> until like 2022 or like 2020, like, and I was like, ah, like, but like, no. And, and he was like, so, and I thought to myself, well, then I'm just going to take this time and focus on getting really good at writing. Like, do you know, like, it's like, like I, I, I don't, and so it helped me prioritize like where I should put my energy, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. and so, and, and, and I think the thing with the tarot is it isn't fortune telling. It's much more like you are getting what you need in order to make sense of the, the moment at, or the question at hand and the time. And so, you know, and, and oh, just to go back to the astrologer, it's then like, he's like, I think when we were going into 2020, 
he was like, he's the next year, meaning 2020 is like, it's going to be a massive life changing year for you. You're going to go into it one way and come out of it another way. He was like, so if you want to be on a world stage, this is the time. And that's when I was like, I'm going to write this fucking book, like yes. I'm going to get this book done and be ready to go in yes. 2020. And so it created deadlines for me internally. Like if that makes sense, like where I was like, because I was like, well, if I could be ready for the moment of opportunity, then let's just see where it goes, I right? Love and that, that, like, and it, yes. what it also made me do, just to go back to the romantic thing, is it made me just <laughs> chill, like, because it was like, it's gonna f- sort itself out. It's of just course. gonna look different. Like, yeah. it's just gonna look different. And now, and now, I just definitely, I, I do this worksheet. I do this workbook every year. I love it. It's uh, Susanna Conway called Unravel Your Year. And ever since I, I love that word. Like, that's been a giant part of my process actually and she makes you pick a, a word for the year yeah and so like you know I think a couple of years ago it was expansive and then it was like like epic like and then this year I picked divine because mm. I have so many things up in the air like the book was going to come out and the show you know we'll see what happens and I have all these other weird opportunities and strange things going on and I was like I just have to remember that it's meant to go the way it's meant to go. You know what I mean? Surrender. Surrender. (laughs) Surrender is a great one too, you know? So, so yeah, I think the tarot thing, people always wanted, it's so funny because I, I would always say like the cards, the question used to help me figure out how to read the cards. because Intuitive guidance. Yes, It's teaching you to trust your intuition. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you do that and all those things. I I just grabbed these because they're next to me. I just released a set of manifestation card decks. Oh my gosh. That's beautiful. Thank you. They actually really, they really are lovely and beautiful, but all of the things you said, that's what our hope is for them. And one of our words is unravel. Isn't that crazy? Wow. That Um, is crazy. There are 48 cards, but it is just that it's, you know, we're not foretelling your future. We're not telling you what to do. The, The trick is, pull a card or do a spread and say, where do I feel this in my body? What does this mean to me? If if I keep this word in my mind unravel, for example, throughout the day, when is it going to go? Oh, and unravel is intentional. Unravel. I I think that's a whole thing about the whole thing is it's all intentional. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I read this thing. It was like an, um, an advice column in the Washington Post recently. And the person was like, I don't know what to do because I'm very jealous of my friend's successes. Oh, like, nope. and I'm generally like a good person, but I'm jealous of my, and, and the advice columnist had such a great take on it. And they were like, your friends are finding success because they're pursuing things that are genuinely passionate for yes. them. And you are jealous because you might want the the shiny part of it, but you're not actually spiritually connected to the rationale behind the endeavor. And if you were, you wouldn't be jealous. Like, and so Mm. like, and I realized how one of the problems with intentionality is that we don't listen. We go, we, we, we look and covet, but we're not listening to like, what was the, the real thing behind it. And we're not listening to ourselves. Like what would actually fill us, not give us attention for a few minutes, but really fill us. That's beautiful. I'm going to make that part of the terms of service for all social media. (laughs) Well, no, it's so funny. And actually, because I can tell you right now, like right now I'm in like the the part of the process of like being a quasi famous writer. And I have to spend a lot of time on social media because I can't tour. So I have to engage with people. And like, I will tell you that that is all much less rewarding than being by myself and writing. Mm. Like I'm appreciative that more than anything, what I am appreciative of because I've had the challenge in my own life is that people are spending time reading the book. Like, so it's like, I really genuinely am like, thank you for reading this book. But, but 
the the time there and like the people I mean like thank you and I'm like cool but like that's not it's not that's a that's beautiful to see that it's touching people. I love it. I don't want to say that I don't, but it's not as rewarding as the time when I'm actually getting the sentences out. Well, and that's because that's your path. Like that's your passion. That's right. Like, that's but I think that that's why you, I know somewhere out there, there's somebody, probably many people that are like, why is she the one that whose book is a bestseller? Mm. You know, like, and it's like, but to the point of the Washington Post columnist, there's, they're coveting the, that's right the external thing and not listening to like, what is it that this brings them? Like, is that their thing? Is writing really their thing? It's like, you know, like, and where is their joy in there? So that, that, I thought that was a really good piece of advice. Because I think when you're in your twenties, you find so much more jealousy. Do you know what I mean? Because you just don't know what you're doing. Like you don't know what you're, what you're supposed to be doing. And so that, that, it it really resonated that little bit of advice. It's even worse now. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because you see so much. You see so much and you don't see any of the iceberg underneath, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. But there's something magical about being in your forties, at least in in my experience. And maybe it is what you said because you don't see the whole iceberg when you're younger. I always just call it lived experience. Like you haven't had enough lived experience to know that none of it fucking matters. Matters. Like just zero fucks completely. I I tell all my friends, I'm like, welcome to the forties club. All your fucks just get to disappear That's and right. you get to do what feels good. The bad and fucks, that, not the and, good fucks. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, the good and, fucks hopefully don't disappear. And then <laughs> when you put, hopefully, and then you put your energy into something that you care about and then yep. you get the results that you want. So I call it a midlife yep. catharsis. <laughs> it is a midlife catharsis. It is a midlife catharsis. And I think it's like, it, you're so much better at editing to go back to that. Like you're so much better at editing and like, this is good. This is not good. This is worth yeah. time. This is not worth time. And what we're really editing is our time. Absolutely. Right? Like, like we're editing the use of our time and where that gets spent because yeah, I'm it's not even that we, that all we day. squander <laughs> it. It's that like we allow other people to waste it. Well, one of my favorite letters in the book is when the, the mother talks to her about time and men and women and their relations to time. And mm. I, I still, st- I stand by that letter. I stand by that letter. The mom <laughs> is always, she's like a, a, always a little bit wrong, but then always a little bit right. Yeah. And like, what yeah. Are so difficult. Like, yeah. <laughs> Where do you find that you are in your most creative element then? If you've been, um, Amy said like there are moments when you're just like depressed, you don't want to do anything, but then when you're by yourself, you are oh. you're very that's that's where you want to be yeah, but so how do you funny. how do you find I, your I, ultimate creativity oh my god like it's hard now i'm better when i'm alone as a better way to put it like i'm better when i'm like by myself for extended periods of time like um it's harder to dip in and out not impossible but it's harder to dip in and out of it if i'm like like a day that i'm doing like this like i have like i, I always tell melissa just put them all on the same day because mm. i'm not going to do this and then like go back right bang out like a thousand great words like you I know like that. it's just it's harder for me to dip into that space if i'm publicly performing in any way like if i'm just with like my very close friends or whatever like but if i'm having to like be the external version of me like i can't i have a hard time dipping into the internal version of me in the same time space um so next month i'm trying to do not not nothing not unfortunately i'm so happy people are interested in talking about the book but like next month like i'm hiding in the desert in california yeah. to try and work oh, on good this for you. book and i'm doing much less of this than i've been doing for like the last two months right and that'll feel really good and nice like i miss that that state of being yeah well you're in a you're in a forced weight space now i mean the book is out yeah and, yes yeah. and it is getting so much acclaim of course you know when we 
for me. When when I got pregnant, I saw all the pregnant people. And when I got a new car, I'd never heard of before. Yeah, of course. I see the car everywhere. And I I, I know you You're and I'm so reading right. your book. And your book is everywhere. But like I, literally, like my library put it on there. New, hot new reads for the month and Goodreads and I, I, everywhere. It's everywhere. I think it might be everywhere. It, to your point, like I just said that to somebody the other day. It was like, they were like, your book is everywhere. It's like, is it or is it false pattern recognition? I don't know. I was like, but then my, my <laughs> aunt called me and she's like, it's in the Danbury library. Like, I mean, it's, kind of, it's kind of everywhere, but also I'm very in, in tune to it. So what's next? Like the pilot is delivered today. Face play, face play, musical. Let's turn it into a musical. Oh my God, it's so funny, Alan. I have recurring nightmares that I talk to Alfonso about all the time where like my mother like sits quietly and is never offended by anything. And like, is like, and then one day I'm at the premiere of Olga, the musical, and she comes in and causes a giant disturbance on opening night. She's had enough. It was the bridge too far. You know? (laughs) A bridge too far. No. Recurring nightmare. Like, I like, I like, it's like, like, the orchestra's tuning up and then my mother bursts onto the stage. <laughs> well, stress dreams are the best. My, that's a, my stress dream is that I, I have to go on stage as a standby for a role that I've never rehearsed and have no no script for. There is a movie, a Bunuel movie. Have you ever seen it? I'm trying to think of the name of it. Um, it's a, uh, oh my God, it's like a surrealist 70s film by uh, Bunuel. I'm trying to remember his first name. And it is amazing. And one of the, it's about these people that are trying to get dinner together and they keep, something happens and one night they end up on stage in a role for, 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 for in a play about a dinner party and none of them had any idea they were going to be there and don't know their lines it's it's fabulous anyway i oh, love that funny. stress dream it's yeah. a good stress dream um yeah so when will you know if, uh, from who oh, will so you know i'll know by march for sure um and then we either spend the spring and summer writing and shooting or you know we see what the next step of that journey might be for it. If not yeah. in Hulu, then maybe somewhere else. I mean, Hulu has been very supportive up until this point, but you just never know. And then um, I'm very proud of it. I'm so you proud of it. should be. Um, yes. And then, you know, I'm working on the second book and I'm working on a couple of screenplays for features, which is kind of exciting. But, um, you know, I mean, like, I, I think mainly I love books. So yeah. I just, um, you know, I, I, I really love, I love films. Um, I think TV for Olga, it's such a, it's such a complicated story. Episodic TV just felt like it needed more Absolutely. space. Absolutely. And I, I mean? can like see it. Each chapter is like a, all, an entire episode yeah. Yeah, of a 30 yeah. minute. So, I don't know how much so, time you yeah, have, but yeah. We're, we're like, we're, we're actually working in 30 now. So I'm very, um, and the cast is amazing. It was more like, you know, it's very, it is very creative working as an EP and working as a creator on TV. It's just that. It's definitely, there's a lot of it that feels like what makes me feel like I'm planning a wedding. And so like, uh-huh. I kind of don't like, you know, like, <laughs> like I don't necessarily love that being the ringmaster of many, many things. Like I, unfortunately are my monkeys. It is my circus. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely more happy here. As I always say to Alfonso, I was like, I'm failed Greta Garbo. I was like, I'm always like, I want to be alone. And then I end up always like, in these big rooms. That's hilarious. <laughs> That is hilarious. So if you look at, at sort of this path in front of you and we're talking yeah. about intentional creation and, yeah. and you're excited and you're grateful and I hear all of that, what do you want to intentionally create for yourself next? I mean, I think I'm now sort of trying to shift my focus to my personal life. Like I know I can keep writing mm. books. I have a lot of them. I know I have like a couple of good film ideas, um, but I now want to put a little bit of time into building the 
the home base. Yeah, if that makes you sense. deserve that. And You've earned what it. <laughs> that, what that looks like, so, because I don't want a situation where my whole world is work. You know what I mean? Like, and it yes. was a lot of it because it is a great work. It's fortunate. I'm fortunate to get to do this work, but I don't want that to be my only. I saw how consuming consuming television is and the, mm-hmm. the process of that. And like, and I was like, Oh, you could very easily go two or three years and come home. And it's just me and the dog. And maybe like, you know, like, and it's like, and I think I just want to put a little bit of time into building what my home base is. Good for you. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then I think, you know, I, I feel like I, I think I need to let this settle before I figure out what the next leg of, you know, I, I know myself and I usually am a pretty pass it forward type of person, but I don't know exactly what that's going to look like just yet. Um, I need to sort of sit in this space. The t- I just wanted to bring Olga's story to the largest possible audience. And so the, the mission of doing that at this point is still pretty yeah. consuming. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Olga dies dreaming directed by Lin-Manuel Miranda. I think. Um, but probably... with better casting, I, I was hearing you with that. Like, I'm going to be really thoughtful right, right. about casting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, this, this is one of those stories that, that you could adapt into. I mean, obviously, immediately the the, yeah. the the book and or the novel and then the screenplay it's it's going for tv of course it could make a wonderful movie um but i think tv and the book obviously tv is going to have more of a chance to adapt everything within the book because you have longer time there's so much that yeah. gets cut out when you yeah. do a movie yeah and and a stage adaptation i i would love to see a stage adaptation i think it's so it's very it's funny worth. well that's my stress dream alan so that maybe we can so make funny. it come true mm-hmm. i do like to make things i actually like to manifest things that i'm afraid of because then they become less scary so that's an intriguing premise um walk towards fear you guys follow so chill everywhere this was so fun this is great i love just the energy and the topic of this podcast is so fabulous and thank fun you. thank you so much Holy shit. I can see why you are friends because you are both extroverted introverts. Yeah. You're, you're very, yeah. very similar in that respect. And I could see a lot of similarities. It's incredible. It's been so fun to just sort of be a fly on the wall as she moved through this. And I, I'm, it's so inspiring to imagine a thing you've always wanted to do, a dream you've always had, and her very intentional creation and then leaning into those chance opportunities to have conversations, to apply for the writer's workshop, like to do these things and to go, well, if I'm going to go in, I'm going to go all the fucking way in. It's a common theme, I think, in, in our guests. What I'm starting to pick out of this is that the the people who are finding their success, who are, are, are you know, embracing chance. That's the tagline of the podcast. We say that all the time. But specifically for her, she was telling these stories of like, here's all the things I want to do. Here's what I don't want to do. Here's what I do want to do. And I'm going to intentionally stop doing what I don't want to do while at the same time keeping my eyes open and my head up and grabbing on to every opportunity, no matter how small it may seem at the time to move me forward towards what I actually want to do. And then all of a sudden, as she was saying, all these things came together pretty much at the same time and now not only does she have this amazing novel she's got this pilot that is being shot by hulu which is of course you know fingers crossed it gets turned into a full-fledged series because it needs to but damn i would love to see this story all of you're gonna have to do all your broadway connection thingy my bobbers but one of the things that she said really towards the end of the conversation that's really resonating with me and i'm so much in this space right now is i i 
I'm paraphrasing. She's a go-getter, right? Like I go get the things I want. I, I, I go after them. I'm active. And right now I'm really, really pausing. Like we're, I mean, she's working her ass off, but I'm not, not chasing anything new right now. I'm going to sit in this space for a minute. I'm going to be in this space and, and kind of roll around in it. And I, it's hard to do that when you're, I mean, could you ever imagine, do you ever just sit in a space and let things roll? You just are on to the next. I have no idea how to do that. No clue. We have to force ourselves to. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, well, it's very much of just, uh, I'm, I'm heading towards this, this desire, this need to fulfill something. What that is, I haven't gotten there yet. Need more therapy. And, (laughs) And then while I'm heading down this path, similar to what Sochil was was talking about is just letting, uh, I guess I'm thinking like a package sorter, the technical mind in me, thinking package sorter like, nope, don't want that, don't want that, don't want that. Okay, this is coming right at me now. So yeah. I'm putting on the, uh, I guess, taking out all the bad stuff and letting the good stuff hit me. And then over time, it's going to get you where you want to go. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you and I were talking about, not to take, but we're talking about authors, uh, we were talking about Will Smith this morning via text because I am currently listening to his memoir, which mm-hmm. one should listen to on on audiobook because there's music and singing and it's really, really good. But he tells this story in the openings. This is just what you're saying. Uh, his father made he and his brother build a wall when they were like 10 years old, like a whole brick wall out of nothing. And they took him a whole year. He's like, it's child labor. You would get arrested for that shit now. And we're like, there's never going to be a wall. Oh, like a st- literal wall, not, a like literal a, not like a fort. Wall. Okay. Nope, like a wall made out of bricks where they had to mix the concrete, they had to do all the things. And 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 he opens the book with this. It's really good writing. So when we were thinking about what we talked about with Sochila, how do you tell these stories? How do you be compelling in this space? And he said, they kept complaining, dad, we're never going to get a wall. We're never going to get a wall. And his dad said, stop focusing on a goddamn wall focus on laying the perfect brick lay the perfect brick and then lay the next perfect brick and will said i go back to that every moment of my life Hmm. stop focusing on the big picture just lay a brick and that's what i think we're talking about yeah to take the first step i have the next one there's there's somebody in particular (laughs) that i know that uh is too much to my frustration i just watch him kind of flounder because he has such great intentions and such great talent but he won't get out of his own way to take the first step and there's only so much help that other people can give and so much you know putting the hook in his mouth and trying to pull him along Mm -hmm. but eventually you got to start walking and that leads to jogging and that leads to running and that leads to sprinting and you're gonna get where you want to go if you just start walking yeah but also if we focus on this end result. And and we talked about this with Sochil so much, this idea of I have done everything I can and now I have to sit in this space of surrender and what mm-hmm. will be for me is coming. The universe will, will put me in the right space at the right time. There's got to be this surrender of some degree to the how and just show up and do this next thing that's right in front of you. I loved it and I love her and, and I love the book. It really is such eloquent writing to hear that that she just picked this up and it naturally pours out of her, it, it blew me away yeah. because I would think that she has been writing for decades and this is her debut novel. This is, it's such a well-written book. Well, she's one to watch. That's for sure. She is one to watch. Uh, and you guys listening should 
follow her. She's on Instagram. I had to laugh. Her actual bio was like, I'm not on Facebook, but I'm a hypocrite. So I'm on Instagram and Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) And I love that. So we'll put all those links in the show notes. But her newsletter through the Atlantic is great. Or regular blog newsletter. Um, And y'all should subscribe to that. We'll put all those links in the show notes. This was was a fun conversation. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to sit with a lot of this, especially this idea of intuition guiding. We thank you for being here with us and we hope you like the show. And if you do, we want you to follow us. You can do that on Apple Podcasts. You can do it on Spotify now, which is very cool. Do us a favor. Write, 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 write. Reave a rating and review. rating. Please leave a rating and review because it matters. And also it just fills all our little tiny hearts with gratitude. And more importantly, <laughs> share Speak it. for yourself. My heart is oversized and bloated. Yeah, well, just that's kidding. actually not true. For those of you who listened to, did you guys know that Alan was on my show? That's just my show, The Brave Files. Um, it's a great conversation. And we talked just about how your heart isn't oversized. and blo- It's oversized, but it's not bloated and, and gross. You're all about the love, man. Go <laughs> I listen to love. it. I have lots of love. Go and listen to Alan's episodes, episode 202 of the Brave Files podcast. Go check it out. Damn straight. We're back there together again. Where can folks find us? What should they do if they find us, Alan? On Instagram at was it chance, and you can shoot us an email at was it chance podcast at gmail.com. Let us know what chances you've taken. What chances have you taken to lead you down your path of creative success? We want to share your stories and let everybody know we'll start publishing those when we get a nice handful, a nice collection. So uh, hit us up, slip into our DMs or our inboxes. <laughs> Thanks for being here with us. You have been listening to Was It Chance, the podcast about embracing opportunity and taking intentional risk for your creative life. I'm Heather Vickery. And I'm Ellen Seals. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.